are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 8th of March. We'll take a look at the Memphis Grizzlies, what they are like since the trade deadline. Talk about that great Oklahoma City-Portland game last night. Your leftover questions from Facebook Live and get you ready for a little points gained Friday. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Uh, hope you're doing great. This is your daily podcast from the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, a lot of geeky numbers. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. When you get in your car, tell your car, smart device, play podcast, Locked on Jazz. Uh, the and Locked on NBA yesterday with Sam Amick uh, really was one of the most enjoyable kind of conversations I've just had with a friend. Uh, we started on basketball. We ended up talking about the players and how unhealthy they are. And then we started sharing about um, or un- unhappy they are. And then we started talking about how unhealthy uh, the cell phone world is and shared our own experiences and some other things like that. So uh, I thought it was a fun conversation. I've gotten more review from people uh, than probably I have on any other podcast I've done in a while. So it seems as though people are reacting to it uh, and really enjoy it. So if you get a chance, yesterday's Lockdown NBA is probably worth uh, taking a moment or two uh, to grab if you have an opportunity. All right, let's uh, get to it. Uh, Memphis tonight. Oh, no, wait a sec. Playoff picture. Uh, There was only one game last night. But it was a good one. Oklahoma City and Portland, and I watched that game pretty intently trying to, you know, figure out, frankly, who you want to play. I thought both those teams looked great last night. The superstar performances were daunting. Um, you know, that's that's what we're asking Donovan to match. Lillard had 51 last night. In nine assists, Westbrook had 37 points, seven rebounds, three assists. Paul George had 32, 20 free throws, 14 rebounds, six assists. Wasn't a lot, a lot of other help. Dennis Schroeder was not particularly good. I mean, that's the thing on both those teams is if you feel as though if you can find a way to slow their stars down, you, you feel all right, but boy, over a seven-game series, they're going to win one or two, three games. It just seemed kind of daunting, frankly. Uh, the offensive ratings for both teams were right in the right in the wheelhouse. There wasn't anything unusual about that game. It was just kind of a battle. Uh, Portland ended up shooting just 39% overall and 22% from the field, which while Lillard was 15 of 28, they did that. So there's a little bit of the rest of the team just didn't have it. Their bench, which they've worked so hard to upgrade with Ennis Cantor and Rodney Hood. Uh, last night, I think was, I saw it right at the end, was like 7 of 23 from the field. So that wasn't great. Um, Portland is probably the team that you'd want to play, I think. Um, so that game was, a, I think, a dead 50-50 game, if I remember correctly. Uh, the implication for Oklahoma City, I thought, was much bigger than for Portland. They play the Clippers tonight in a game that they are, you know, a 60% game. Uh, and so I think that was a 
a particularly important game for them. Uh, they couldn't re- if they lost another one. It seemed as though that could, you know, have a have a lasting impact on them. Uh, and it was on a back to back. And for Portland, I think it's not that big a deal. They have lost back to back fifty fifty games, but they have a pretty easy stretch coming up here tonight. Denver's in Golden State, which will be interesting just because Golden State's not playing well. Long conversation with Sam about Demarcus Cousins. Oklahoma City's playing the Clippers. Houston is a 63% favorite against 76ers. Jazz 57% against the Grizzlies. Uh, and then the Clippers and the Thunder. And as I've said, I really think this race is pretty well over. Um, there's eight playoff teams, in, and it's all they're all set. And um, it's not something that uh, the right now the the playoff chances for the Spurs at 98%. And the Clippers is at 98%. Uh, all right, shouldn't be a lot of changes, but here they are. Warriors 58, Nuggets 54. This is 538. Blazers, Thunder, Jazz, all tied at 50 and 32. Rockets at 52 and 30. So as of right now, Warriors 1, Nuggets 2, Rockets clearly 3. And then Blazers, Thunder, and Jazz all tied at 50 and 32 for 4 5 6 and the division. I've said this the whole time. I really I feel as though the Jazz have got to get to 52, almost 53 to be confident of home court advantage. Clippers and Spurs are tied at 45. So interesting. All right, let's go to the Grizzlies. They made a bunch of trades. Um on trade deadline and traded Garrett Temple and traded Jamichael Green and traded Marcus Gasol and then didn't trade Memphis uh, didn't trade Mike Conley, which we're well aware. And it was kind of a frankly, it was a weird mix of moves because by the time they were done, they ended up with this roster that added some pretty good players, right? So Avery Bradley is on their team. Um, Jonas Valanciunas they picked up from uh, from Port, uh, from Toronto has been playing great. Like he's putting up mammoth numbers. Uh, Valanciunas is averaging 18 points and nine rebounds a game. And so it's not entirely clear to me what their goals and ambitions were um, and what they were trying to do at the trade deadline. Now, with that said, since the trade deadline, here's who they are. Their offense continues to struggle. It's 29th in the NBA. They're 30th overall for the season. You know, it's an interesting question. Like, if Mike Conley is that great, which I think he's good, why is their offense 29th? Is that on him in some way? Their defense in that time period is third. They have the second best effective field goal percentage defense, third highest turnover rate defense, which we have been known to be susceptible to. They do foul a lot. But their defense since the trade deadline, since they added Avery Bradley, since they moved Marcus Ole, has been great. So... And they play the most amount of possessions of any team in the NBA in the half court. So the Jazz tonight, it's really one of those games where it's a half court game. It's kind of back to the old grizzly grind. Um, DeLon Wright's playing pretty well for them. 
but the, it's it's one where if we we've just frankly just got to make some shots and they probably can't keep up if our defense is is as good. Just for interest for you, since the trade deadline, the number one differential team in the NBA is the Detroit Pistons. Andre Drummond's playing great. Reggie Jackson's back. They're the number one offense, the number one shooting team in the league, and the number 10 defense. Number two is Orlando. Eighth best offense, number one ranked defense. Milwaukee is third at fifth and fifth. Denver is fourth with a 19th ranked offense and second ranked defense since the trade deadline. We're fifth, sixth best offense, sixth best defense. Portland is, or we're fifth. Portland is sixth, seventh offense, and 11th defense. Clippers are seventh, 14 and seven. Houston is eight, third best offense, 19th defense. Philly is ninth at 13th offense and ninth defense. Memphis is 10th. Memphis defense has been that good. They're top 10 team in the league since the trade deadline. So this is a tussle. Just for interest, Indiana 11, Washington 12, fourth best offense without John Wall because they got rid of a negative offensive player. We'll get into that uh, here in points gained here a little bit. Sacramento 13, Toronto 14, Boston 15. Golden State, since the trade deadline, is 19th. San Antonio's 20th. Oklahoma City's 22nd. That's why that was a big win. Lakers are 29th. Dallas is 30th. 30th in offense and 30th in defense for the Mavericks, who don't have their draft pick. Should be a little disconcerting. There. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai. Stop by and say hi to the guys at 4646 South State Street. Frankly, Blake is usually down in Linden now, so you can say hi to my friend Jason. He's got a daughter who's a ski racer just like uh, I do, so we bonded over that. Uh, And some of the crew over at Murdoch, 4646. If you're in the market for a car, at least put Hyundai on the list. If they're not on your list, I think you should take a moment to at least include them. See what you can get for your money at Hyundai, because I think you'd be very surprised. We did the research, as would not surprise you. Our son needed a new car, uh, or our son was driving. We wanted a car with safety features galore, so we wanted good safety rating. My wife wanted a third row of seats, so when she used the car as the um, carpool machine that it could be used, and after our research, the Hyundai Santa Fe was the answer. So we bought a Hyundai Santa Fe. I'm driving the new one. has incredible safety features, a new um, and almost self-driving at times. Keeps telling me to put my hand on the wheel, the way it keeps us in the lane and everything else. Um, really fabulous level of features, smooth drives, and great price you can get for it. Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street. Plus, you get the Murdoch Guarantee, car washes for life, five-day price match guarantee, as well as the uh, Murdoch no-regrets approach to your car buying experience. It's all at Murdoch Hyundai, 4646 South State Street, also in Logan and in Linden. All right, we had some leftover questions from uh, yesterday I wanted to get to. Uh, Does Royce O'Neal's improvement mean that you would want to trade Dante Exum? I don't really see those as the same, but I do see them competing possibly for minutes at times. Um Though I think that as, you know, depending what the Jazz do with their point guard situation in the offseason, 
you should have a lot of interchangeable pieces. Royce just does not have the handle that Dante has. If Royce has an area of his game um, that's the next step, it's the handle and the passing and those kind of things. He's improved so greatly. So, no, I don't really see them as an either-or situation. Um, seven or eight turnovers by Joe and Donovan. No reaction. Seven or eight turnovers by Ricky. How come? Uh, and everybody freaks. How come? So I think there are two things. One is I think we lost the game uh, with seven or eight turnovers against Oklahoma City, and three of them were late and pretty eye-opening in that regard. Uh, but I also do think that there has become, as was the case in Minnesota, he is, Ricky Rubio is just a polarizing figure. Uh, this, was, this was true in Minnesota. This is, is true um, here now. You either are, and, and no one is in the middle on Ricky Rubio. This has just been the story of his career. You're either completely a Ricky Rubio guy or you're completely not, and that stems the reaction, and as is always the case, Somewhere in the middle is probably uh, the most accurate comment of, of both is that, you know, he's he's got some serious flaws. Um, he's not a great shooter. Um, he's not as good a passer as everyone makes him out to be. He is kind of the heart of the team. He is and he probably is willing to be the heart and feel the team. He's going to be the one who feels the. Um, feels the pain for the team, feels the exhilaration for the team, and is, you know, his 50-50 ball, getting his 50-50 ball, his plus-minus is always good somehow, some way. Uh, that aspect of who he is as a player is kind of the essence of Ricky, and you either buy into that as a fan or you don't. Um, but he is that guy. Like, he is kind of the heartbeat of this roster, of the team, of the locker room, and that um, that has a pretty big impact on on how the Jazz play, who they are, and it's also why I think Quinn, you know, it's really a struggle for Quinn on nights where Ricky's not playing well to decide whether to finish him or not because if you don't finish him enough times, then you take away his strength, which is being that heartbeat of the team, and I think that um, you have to be really careful of that. Uh Long question about how poor our late-game offense is and isolation and why we don't run our other stuff, which is a common mantra. So let me point out one thing. We are the second-best team in the league offensively in the final five minutes of a game within five points. Only Boston is better. I sometimes like last three minutes, three-point differential, or last five minutes, three-point differential. Uh, so let's look at both of those, and it changes a little bit. Uh, so... Last three, three minutes, uh, we become, we slip. Uh, and this might be to 21st. Um, and that might be some of the isolation stuff you're talking about. And Donovan's not a great isolation player, too. So now if you go to five minutes, we become the fourth best offense overall. So, it's it, you know, as it gets a little tighter, we slip a little bit. Um, so I don't think it's as bad as you're as, – as the question was phrasing, it would be the first thing I would say. Um, the second thing, my second comment to this would be, you know, you really want to know who's getting that shot. And late in the game when teams are switching or 
or playing defensively with a little more intensity, there's a feeling in the NBA that if you go and don't, you know, run the isolation or do something different than isolation, that you very easily um, can end up with the wrong guy with the ball at the wrong time, and you don't want that. And that's the fear of every coach. So the beauty of isolation is you at least know who's getting the shot and when and how. And I think that's why you see that a lot from coaches late in games. Um, what does Royce O'Neal need for another step was an unanswered question on our Facebook Live yesterday. Boy, that's a that's a hard one. He's taking a big step this year. So impressed. His rim finishing is improved dramatically. Um, obviously, his three-point shooting is dramatic. He's got the third biggest effective field goal in of any player in the league other than Demonis Sabonis and Davis Bertans. He has, last year was a 50% layup shooter, then a 61% layup shooter for the year. I think he's 71% since January. And his three-point shooting is up dramatically. He's struggling a little bit um, with that three-point shooting right now. Um, he is not, since the All-Star break, whatever that ridiculous stretch he was on, where he hit, I think, 10 of his final 12 before the break, or 12 of his final 14 or something like that, um, has gone away. So I think uh, hopefully that regains a little bit. That would be awfully nice for him if he could um, get that back. Uh, I think you know that's a vital part of, of what we're doing as a team. Um, but he's – and actually, you know, frankly um, – Oh, I have the wrong season in here, so never mind. I was like, frankly, the last few games, I was looking up his numbers on my spreadsheet that runs stuff, and I had it on 17, 18 instead of um, 18, 19. I was like, our last two games are not against the Warriors and the Blazers. Um, but so I, I guess the next step for Royce would be improved ball handling, a little better passing. Um, there was a play in New Orleans where you know he drives and, and throws it away. Um, that's, not, that's, that's not his strength right now. Uh, he is two for four, 15 shooting the three since coming back from the break. Um, but he is he is wildly improved as a player this year. Um, the other one, I don't know how he improves this. His defense is really, really good when he can be physical and get a body into someone. It's not as good when he suddenly gets switched or is on Dame Lillard or someone at 35 feet. Now, not a lot of guys are. He dropped 51 last night. So that might not be a fair ask. Um, but I do I do wonder a little bit if um, there's something he could do in that regard uh, defensively. Otherwise, what a great story. Um, and he works hard, and his improvement trajectory at this age is unheard of. It's very similar to what the Jazz were able to do with Joe Ingles. OKC or Portland? I mean, I certainly asked myself that question a hundred times last night, um, trying to figure out which of those two teams I would like to play. Um, I think the answer is Portland. Um, the pure will and force that Westbrook plays with and the impossibility of guarding Paul George, to me, I think makes that a matchup I'd like to avoid. However, Oklahoma City is flawed a bit. You know, Russ is not efficient. Dennis Schroeder's not efficient. Their their defense is not good. I mean, their their uh, their 
Their bench is not good. Quinn's a superior coach to Billy Donovan, I think. Uh, Terry Stott's a really good coach. But I think Portland. That's why, actually, I thought last night, if that's what you wanted, you probably wanted Portland to win. Portland becomes the four seed. We become the five. Oklahoma City becomes the six. Oklahoma City wins tonight. It's going to be awfully hard for us to be anything but the six. Like, it just gets... We just need these guys to lose some games because otherwise we're going to have to go, you know, 16-2. and two. Locked on NBA yesterday with Sam Amick, one of my favorite shows I've had. Adam and Anthony did Locked on NBA today, so you can grab that. And also every day Locked on Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd does a fabulous job setting things up uh, and telling you about the day as well as what's going on in the fantasy world. Make sure... You grab those programs on the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do points gained. I have not run the I've run the numbers. I have not looked at the results. Does that make sense? Let's take our top five off top ten offensive players in the NBA. You know, I was in a conversation the other day uh, over dinner that the rim is king. That we're all time at the three, but that the rim is really king. And this is true, and points gained proves that. It's the first thing I thought when I was in this conversation. The question was how many threes is going to be the maximum threes that we end up taking in this league? Which was a great question. But what then, the back out part of it that you have to decide is that the 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 goal of every team is to get to the rim first. The rim has become more and more important. And so if you're trying to figure out how many threes are going to be taken, the first question you have, I think the question you have to get to is how many shots at the rim are going to be taken. Now, what's interesting is if you look at defensive metrics, the defense has the bigger impact on how many shots are taken at the rim and no matter what the defense does, if the offense wants to take threes, they're probably getting it. So defense, largely, the way everyone defends, will dictate the amount of shots at the rim. What, what gets interesting here is, you know, Milwaukee has just decided you're not getting to the rim anymore. Is, is this going to be the model, making guys like Rudy Gobert actually even more valuable, where we were eight months ago, people wondering if he'd lost value, and then the three-point shooting jumps because you can't get to the rim, so then you take threes. But if the ultimate goal of offense is to get to the rim, a little bit of this question of how many threes are we eventually going to have gets to the fact that you're thir- at least 37 38% of shots are going to be rim shots unless defenses figure out a way to take that away. And then, so that means that the maximum you could get for threes is, you know, 60 61 62%. We're pro- and that's and then we have just no mid-range ever left in the game. Right now, the, the rim rate is 33%. The Jazz are taking 36%. Um, so the, it, you know, then that leads you to the what's the maximum out of threes. Right now, I think 35.6% of shots are threes. That number sh- is going to go up. You know, we're going to get to 40 45% as this league. But what the maximum number is, is going to be largely dictated on the way defenses are played 
in the league. So um, you'll see as we run through points gained here that certainly there is the the value of the rim being king shows. So Steph Curry's number one in the league at 3.9. James Hart, 3.9 if you're new to points gained means that in the 25 and the 22 scoring opportunities a night that Steph Curry uses, he is 3.9 scores 3.9 points more than the average player in the NBA would in the same possessions. James Harden is a 3.4. Giannis is a 3.2. We're right on. Our league average. Usually there's three guys over three and ten guys over two. Durant is 2.8. Rudy Gobert is the fifth most impactful offensive player at 2.6. The rim is king. Carl Anthony Towns, 2.6. John Collins, 2.4. Clint Capella, 2.1. Kawhi Leonard, 2.0. DeAndre Jordan, 2.0. Danilo Gallinari in the Clippers, 2.0. Montrez Harrell, 2.0. That's why the Clippers are making the playoffs, people. Those are your top 10 most impactful points gained offensive players. And I would say to you, if five of the first six make perfect sense to you, then maybe the six should too. Steph Curry, James Harden, Giannis Adekumbo, Kevin Durant, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns. Where are other big name offensive players, I was asked. So let's run down. Tobias Harris is 1.7. Anthony Davis is a 1.6. LeBron is a 1.5, as is Kyrie, as is Joel Embiid, as is Paul George. Buddy Heald is a 1.3. Damian Lillard is a 1.3. So Damian Lillard uses 22 scoring opportunities a night. If you put those all out to an average player, Dame scores 1.3 points more than an average player. That tells you how incredible Steph Curry 3.9, James Harden 3.4, and Giannis 3.2 is when Dame's a 1.3, and why it's almost impossible to catch those players. And all those teams that have one of these players, like Gallinari and Harold, that's why these teams are better than maybe people realize. Right? Like, So just, you know, keep an eye on it. Um, other players that you might be interested in, Someone asked me to kind of run through the high. Nikolai Jokic is a 1.1. Bradley Beal is a 1.1. Blake Griffin is a 1.1. Steven Adams is a 1.1. Al Horford is a 0.9. Nikola Mirotic is a 0.8. Kyle Korver we'll get to. He's a Utah Jazz, 0.7. That's pretty good for a guard. Ben Simmons is 0.7. So for his lack, spite of not shooting threes, Devin Booker is a .7. Nikola Vukovic in Orlando is a .7. Jimmy Butler a .6. Clay Thompson this year is a .5, which is way down for him. LaMarcus Aldridge is positive, which he's not always been, which is a .5, despite all his three-point shooting. Yusuf Nurkic, big guy for Portland, is a .4. Vince Carter's positive, which is just the most awesome thing of all time. Paul Millsap is a .2 at this point of his career. We're into the middle average players in the NBA. It's 
kind of everyone you would expect that are right on the zeros and the point ones. Otto Porter is a point one this year after being much better. Chris Paul is a zero right on league average. Kyle Lowry is a zero right on league average this year. Mike Conley is a zero right on league average. Gordon Hayward is a minus point one. I'm just scanning. Luka Doncic and Kyle Kuzma are a minus point one. Brandon Ingram is a minus point one. Jason Tatum is a minus point two. Jabari Parker is a minus point two. Kemba Walker, max player, question mark, minus point two. Not sure I'm willing to do that. CJ McCollum, minus point three. Gary Harris, minus point... F- no, that's Harry Giles, sorry. Surprised when I saw that. Rodney Hood, minus point four. Just doesn't go to the free throw line enough. It's just hard if you don't go to the line. Um, Jeff Teague, minus point five. DeLon Wright, minus point five here in Memphis. Just doesn't shoot the three well off. De'Aaron Fox for minus point five. Mark Gasol, minus point five in exchange for Jonas Valanciunas is a big drop. See whether the point gain point gains thought that the Toronto trade was bad. Let's see what happens. Thought made them less good. Jay Crowder minus point six. We'll obviously get look at the Jazz in a second. We're in Goran Dragic getting old minus point seven. If I was a GM, I might have blown it. I might have traded for him. Aaron Gordon minus point eight. Max contract available in the trade market would not do it. Trey Young, minus .9. D'Angelo Russell, for all of his greatness here, minus .9. Evan Fournier, minus .9. Probably available. That's probably the reason. Trey Lyles, minus .1. Worst catch-and-shoot three-point shooter in the NBA this year. Justice Winslow, still minus 1.1, despite everyone thinking he'd get better. DeMar DeRozan, minus 1.1, as is Ricky Rubio. Karis Levert, for all the love he's gotten in Brooklyn, minus 1.1. Terry Rozier, minus 1.2. Just not very good. John Wall, minus 1.2. Washington's offense better without him. Dennis Smith, minus 1.3. Avery Bradley, we'll see tonight, minus 1.3. Alfred Payton, minus 1.3. Ray John Wando, minus 1.4. Lonzo Ball, minus 1.5. Dwayne Wade, minus 1.5. Dennis Schroeder, Donovan Mitchell, minus 1.7. Josh Jackson, minus 1.7. Frank Nilakina minus two. Kevin Knox minus 2.6. Andrew Wiggins minus 2.8. Russell Westbrook minus three. That runs down your points gained. Who are the hottest and coldest players in the NBA? Sorry, that was a lot of numbers there, but it's something we have on the show nobody else has and uh, would hope that that's worthwhile to to give kind of a perspective of different types of players and 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 what they do. Lar- Carl Anthony Towns, the hottest player in the NBA right now, followed by Bradley Beal, Dwight Powell, Joe Harris, Kevin Love, James Harden. How many games has Kevin Love played? Oh, all of them. Or no, seven. James Harden, Brandon Ingram, DeAndre Jordan, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Reggie Jackson, Detroit, why they're playing so well, Rudy Gobert, Kelly Olenek, boy, do I like him, Kevin Durant, Demata Sabonis, Bojan Bajanovic in Indiana, Andre Drummond, there's why Detroit's number one. Drummond and 
Reggie Jackson putting it together. Derek Favors, 2.6, is near this group. Luke Kennard in Detroit playing great as well. Let's go to the coldest guys in the league right now. Andrew Wiggins, minus 4.3. Wow. Kevin Knox, minus 4.3. Dennis Schroeder, minus 4.2. Shelvin Mack, minus 4. Mario Hazonia, minus 3.6. Karis LeVert, minus 3.6. Kevin Knox, minus 3.4. Dennis Schroeder, minus 3.2. Frank Jackson, minus 2.9. Chris Dunn, Terry Rozier, minus 2.7. All right, let's take a quick look at your Utah Jazz. Last 10 games, see how everyone's... We kind of gave you the Jazz regular. Let's see how everyone looks in the last 10 games. Rudy is a 3.0. Derek's a 2.6. Joe Ingles is a 1.1. Royce O'Neal, 1.1. Tavo, 0.6. Kyle Korver, 0.3. Neto minus five, Jay Crowder minus point seven or minus point five, minus point seven, Ricky Rubio minus one point five, Donovan minus one point seven, shooting forty two percent and thirty six percent from three. Hard. It's hard to be good in this league. He is taking twenty five percent of his shots as threes and eight percent of his shots at the free throw line. That is Locked on Jazz today. Hope you have a great day. Thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll talk to you soon. Make sure you go listen to Locked on NBA. They had a good conversation about mental health as well today um, with some comments Jay Williams made from ESPN leading their conversation. See ya.